1: Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not-So-Deep-Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. Today, we are discussing Procore in our fourth, third, third installment in the Engineering Software Series for the month of November. Previously, we covered Dassault Systems, which was the, or no, was it, is it fourth? I think it might be fourth. What was the one? Oh, yeah, Bentley, we covered. Yeah, this is the fourth uh, for the Engineering Software Systems. Uh, we had Yeah,
0: Bentley,
1: Dassault, Ansys, and...
0: Answers. yeah Yep.
1: simulation all around Procore is more construction which we're going to talk about today first up though housekeeping items remember for each one of these episodes we are putting a newsletter out for free that has the show notes and charts and metrics that we may reference throughout this episode uh so sign up for that the link will be in the show notes it is free over at Substack uh second I think that is it so let's just go to the advertiser seven investing use our code money to get $100 off your annual subscription for life. What is 7investing? I guess we should probably talk about that at least some of the times because we kind of go into the details of what they do. 7investing is a research service for stocks that does seven recommendations each month, hence 7investing, where they have seven different advisors. Yes, they love the number seven. uh, That do one research report each month and they track how the recommendations are doing uh, versus the market. They update you on all the recommendations. They wanna be active in, okay, we recommended this a year ago, but is it a good buy now? We're gonna keep updated with the company. We might say, okay, these ones made we made a mistake on, uh, but these other ones are actually doing extremely well. So we focus on these areas of the companies that we're recommending. They do love to have an active approach, not with the portfolio they are buy and hold, but the active por- approach, with their subscribers which i think is a huge benefit they're very intimate over there and also if you want to check them out a near uh let me pull it up here one second just wrote a free article that i think people should check out called uh what's the title alexa can tell us a lot about the metaverse or something along those lines so you know discussing the metaverse discussing some of the stuff over reality labs so check out some of the free stuff if you're uh, kind of interested in on the fence of subscribing but it's a great service and they provide a lot of value uh, for individual investors. So use code money uh, to get hundred dollars off your annual subscription. All right, I think that's it, Ryan, for the intro. Yeah. Um,
0: let's let's, let's talk here. Procore. Yeah, Procore. Uh, technically, Procore Technologies is the full name, but uh, oh, wow. we're going to abbreviate it Procore for this uh, for the show. For those that have listened to the show before, um, or are recurring listeners, you may have heard us talk about the business before. So unlike, I would say Bentley Systems, and DeSoe, and maybe even Ansys, this is a business that both Brett and I were pretty familiar with heading into it. So However, we hadn't really kept up as much with the stock and the valuation, and I, I think quite uh, quite as much with the financials, but we had a good grasp on the business. And if you want, we've interviewed the CEO in the past, I think twice on the show. So feel free to look those up, but let's get into it. So Procourt is one of the leading providers of cloud-based construction management software. So their stated goal is, in quotes here, connect everyone in construction on a global platform. Um And so to kind of try to lay the foundation, no pun intended here, and I've got a feeling we might have a couple of puns throughout the show, but to lay the foundation on any given project, like a construction project, there are typically a number of different stakeholders that have to work together. So there's the general contractors, the general contractors will also um, hire out for specialty contractors. There's the owners, there's the architects, the engineers, and uh, all of them are often working from disparate locations. So, um, you know, especially contractors may come in for a little bit, they may have an office somewhere else where they do their work. Um, people at the general contractor might be going to and from the job site and the office. And so having one uniform platform where everybody can access important project information, um, communicate use the platform as a system of record is really really helpful. Uh and in a way I guess this feels similar to and you can maybe differ with me on this analogy. It feels a little bit like Dropbox for the construction industry.
1: Yeah, or or uh, Google Drive or with a combination of communication so Slack as well. Yeah, where sort of it's like blend. those workplace management tools that people might use but tailored to the construction industry because they have very specific needs
0: yeah and they, they cover a number of important industries uh, or important areas for their customers and so I'll, I'll try to go through each one so the first one is pre-construction um in order to get work if you're a construction team you submit bid proposals to potential projects um that includes i'm sure a lot of general contractors are like have existing relationships with owners so uh there, maybe the bids aren't as important in that process but for specialty contractors um to get work from general contractors there will usually be a project you will submit a proposal your proposal will say basically what you can do for them and how much it'll cost and then if they select you as their specialty contractor then you then you go in and you uh, join the project with them so uh, within the pre-construction product Procore has that bid management um, software so you can manage um, and create all your bids from one dashboard it's really seamless and easy Um, but the the main product that most people use is what they call project execution so this is where Procore started and it includes their core offering today which is just kind of what we talked about in the the lead up here which is project management so the project management product itself accounts for 51 percent of all of Procore's annual recurring revenue right now. Um, And then within project management, it's probably a little bit what it sounds like. It's pretty holistic. So you can upload models, you can upload pictures or drawings. If you're on the job site and you need to send something back to the office for someone to kind of uh, tweak, you can take a picture of it because it's not always the same as it is in the models. Um, And then you can add data, you can add specifications um basically it serves as sort of that communication platform and system of record as i mentioned um and then uh i think that's there's other stuff within project execution but that's really the biggest product and then the two other ones they have are workforce management and financial management workforce is pretty straightforward uh and i think it's a pretty easy upsell so it just helps uh, customers measure field productivity and plan out their their workers and their work time so Kind of a replacement for whiteboards or, or time cards, stuff like that. Financial management, this consists of I, I looked through this product because I didn't know it that well, but um basically you're editing and revising budgets constantly throughout a project. And within the financials, this is really where you're doing it on Procore. Um uh, I believe this is probably the most this is typically, I'm guessing, replacing Excel for a lot of these customers. Um, and it allows you to kind of do it in one place where a lot of other people on the team can have access to it as well so it's not as um that's kind of one of the benefits there that Procore is unlimited users i, I probably should have mentioned that your chart they charge on an acv basis so they charge their customers for annual construction volume so instead of charging on per seat basis basically they're combining their how much their customers how many projects they're running on Procore, and what the value of those um projects are worth. And then they're giving them custom pricing based on that. And then they can allow as many users to join the platform as they want. So you're not getting a user here or a user there that's not in sync with everyone else. So that part's kind of nice. And then the other thing I'll mention, 44% of ProCourse customers use four or more products. So this has been going up over time. There's an increase in attach rate, and I think they're continuing to build out and improve the, uh, the, the additional products beyond just that project management solution. Um, anything else that I should talk about, you think, for the business?
1: Uh, I will have a chart in the uh, newsletter that has the net retention rate, which kind of goes over the revenue growth from existing customers. And it's consistently been uh, over 100%. So yes, very impressive land and expand model for them.
0: Yeah, the, the other thing is just in terms of size, Procore has more than fourteen thousand customers, and keep in mind these are customers are often big, so big general contractors. There's definitely more users than just the customers. And then, uh, as far as I can tell, they they are the premier product or the market share leader for construction management software. It seems like the most used app used app on the job sites. Um, as for history, Procore was initially founded in two thousand two by Tui Uh Prior to Procore, Tui had He'd worked in construction throughout kind of middle school, high school, college, uh, and then he always had a technology interest. So uh, he basically got taken under his wing by a family friend who who worked in technology and and kind of taught him different elements of software. And then there was also some self teaching going on there as well. And he ended up starting his own company in Silicon Valley called WebCage in 1996. Um, from what I understand, they basically just sold. Uh, user interfaces to HR companies, and then that, that ended up being a decent success. They were still running it, but the, his wife and son, I believe, wanted to go back down to Montecito. Didn't want to live in San Francisco. He was going to and from, and they've started to build out this new house. And while he was building out the new house, he realized how little communication and just continuity there was on a project, on a construction project. And he thought it was kind of the perfect tie between both his interests in, in technology and, and construction. And he had software developers from Webcage draft up basically this little project management tool or software that allowed him to manage the property from a different location. And apparently it was a bit of a success. People that he knew in the area wanted to license it and use it. And he, I'm not sure how he ended up switching from Webcage to Procore, but he he, he thought this is a business that could really work. However, it didn't get as much traction as most people would probably think in 2002 there really weren't that many internet connected devices on the job site and so um, it wasn't quite as useful and it really didn't start to pick up until about 2008 when there was that proliferation of internet connected devices and more and more people had iPhones and uh tablets tablets as yeah. well um and so that's that's when the value really started to show itself for procore since then i think throughout the 2010s it's been just steady growth. They seem to be a really good sales oriented business where they're selling it to big general contractors, expanding within the general contractors, uh, upselling them to other products. And then they've acquired, they've not only built out a bunch of iterations to the platform, probably from customer feedback, but, um, they've made some acquisitions as well that have, that have helped with the platform. The other thing I'll mention, a lot of construction companies have their own softwares that they use. So, um, you know, just think of all the potential partners here, The a lot of construction companies probably use things like DocuSign. Procore has a pretty extensive partner marketplace or app marketplace um, that you can integrate your, your own softwares that you already use on there. So it really kind of just serves as a dashboard for uh, big construction management firms.
1: Yep. All right. I'll hit industry competition at their investor day, which is actually quite recent. So good timing on this. It was in November. They put out a lot of good numbers on their addressable market and the industry numbers uh, that they go through and research. And they, they know about that better than most other people because of all the data they have, uh, which we'll link in the newsletter. If anyone wants to check out that presentation, uh, if we look at the industry Construction spend globally was about $11 trillion in 2020, and that is expected to grow to about $15 trillion in 2030. Uh, now, Procore's opportunity is not in the trillions, but I think they should be thought of as a low single digit percentage of overall construction spend since given their model, they would go off of the you know construction volume of, con, uh, of projects. Now, right now, less than 2% of industry spend is spent on uh, IT software, stuff like that. And construction is one of the least digitized industries in the world. Only agriculture and hunting are behind it, I believe. Um, So if we look at Procore and try to estimate kind of an opportunity for them um, and take that $15 trillion number, multiply it by 2%, that comes out to $300 billion. Um, I think I'm doing that right. Yes, 300. It's a massive gap. It's huge using that methodology. Now, if I put my common sense hat on, I think that might be high. I think it's high, but given, uh, I, the opportunity is still large. If it's only a hundred billion dollars for construction software, I mean, it's quite large. If it's only $50 billion, I think still think that's quite large. Um, as we'll go into later, they're less than a billion dollars in revenue today. look uh, at competitors, there's like Ryan mentioned before, there's kind of a standard workplace management software and stuff with Microsoft, Oracle, Dropbox, uh, Google Drive, I guess, even uh, for the free version. However, the main competitor with pure play construction software is Autodesk, which we'll actually cover next week as that's a company we own. They have their Autodesk Construction Cloud, which launched a couple of years back, and they've copied a lot of what Procore offers, and they offer a lot of similar products. Um, But Procore was definitely the visionary in the space, and a lot of these other companies are trying to catch up. Now, let's move to management, ownership, compensation. Also, also, Uh, Ryan, go
0: ahead. I guess one thing on TAM. Because you'll see a lot of, if you look through their 10K or even their S1, there's a lot of talk around the total addressable market. This is an industry where I think there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit, and they're often not competing with existing solutions. They're not trying to replace existing software systems, but just trying to convince a lot of the customers that it's worthwhile to try to use a construction, like a software for managing communication and, and documents. So uh, I guess that's that's to say that it doesn't look like it's going to be a winner-take-all market.
1: Right. And I'll remind the listeners, Yanks yeah, because I think this is important. Uh, they are one of the least digitized industries in the world. Construction, uh, I should say, is one of the least digitized industries in the world. Uh, only you know, agriculture and hunting are behind that. Now, let's go to management. The founder, CEO, and chairperson is Tui Cordomanch, like Ryan mentioned. He's been running the ship for around 20 years, owns about 5% of the company, but does not, and this is important, um, have voting control. So it's standard stuff, no dual class, all that good stuff. Uh, if we look at the board, there are nine members of the board, and it's it's a big mix between other software executives and venture investors that were in Procore. Um, Tui. Is the only pro core executive on the board. Um, thought it was interesting, pretty standard in that regard. Board of directors' pay was about $3.2 million in 2021 or 0.6% of gross profit. Now, if we look at executive compensation, in their proxy statement, they only listed three executives for their named executive officers. However, if you look on their website on their IR page, they have 15 executives and SVPs. So the actual pay there, you know, the uh, it might be a bit different. But look at the executive compensation for the people that are listed it was 20.2 million dollars in 2021 or 3.8 percent of 2021 gross profits so not you know not a bad number there um a lot of the this was in stock options and rsus but for some reason we're looking at the proxy they were not listing out why people achieve stock awards um i cannot find it on this year's proxy statement and they've only been public for a little while so maybe that'll come next year but again the proxy was a bit barren versus some of the other stuff we've seen which isn't a bad thing but just if you're following the company maybe look at next year and hopefully they have more detail now the one thing i did see um, that their compensation practices are very standard i I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing but it's not a bad thing um there are cash bonus pools each year that are based on dollar values of new subscriptions and operating income so basically if they hit some sort of uh, dollar value that they added in subscription revenue or they hit some operating income target they will get uh, some cash bonuses. The executives and quote here, if they hit individual objectives set by the compensation committee. So there are not hard rules. Sometimes the executives can get bonuses uh, on purely discretionary manners. Didn't find any big uh, red or yellow flags with the proxy statement, which is a good thing. Um, however, I get a little bit nervous with companies that have heavy venture capital influence. Um, they have different, you know, compensation and hiring philosophies that. May not align with public shareholders. If we look at their ownership table, Iconiq Strategic Partners has 32.3% of the stock, and Bessemer Venture Partners has 9.7% of the stock. So, you know, heavy, heavy influence from the VC firms that are still there as of the proxy statement. And I looked up, and again, it's hard to get the update for some of these people because they don't all file 13Fs. But according to Whale Wisdom, the kind of ownership aggregator, these two venture firms still own a large portion as of now. Um, Let's see, other things are important to note. Yes, lastly, uh, at the end of 2021, and this is important, there were 12.6 million potentially dilutive securities, which are stock options or RSUs, which is just under 10% of shares outstanding at the time. If we look at their shares outstanding, from uh, 2017 to 2021 it grew at 10.6% a year so make sure you're looking at revenue per share numbers make sure you're looking at cash flow per share gross profit per share because they like to finance this business by issuing stock to employees
0: and other people um there may have been some pre IPO grants oh yeah for I guess sure that yeah, kind yeah. of up. but it it was
1: consistent each year and yes the IPO you know they raised stock i mean but that's how they finance it so right. Just look at that. They, um it's not necessarily a bad thing because they've grown quite quickly. And if we look at revenue per share, it's grown at thirty two percent over that same time period. So quite impressive, but don't uh don't look at revenue in uh what am I trying to say? In a vacuum.
0: All right. Earnings, Ryan, yeah. for us. One other person that's on the board and owns a big chunk, and you have him here listed in the ownership table is Kevin O'Connor. Um he I believe was the first investor in the company. I think in 2004 he wrote them basically a million dollar check and has kind of been with the company ever since. So hey, wow. he was uh yeah he's uh I, I'm I'm sure that has given him plenty of good returns since um and I think I believe Paul Leandras the CFO was in there really early at the same time. So the all three of those I, I think they were the the initial executives between Tui Paul and, and Kevin uh they're all still around so it, it seems like they get a lot of value out of this job and uh and and plan on sticking with the company so a little a little bit of a positive there as far as earnings go uh, i'll i'll touch on 2021 and then go into the most recent quarter so just over half a billion dollars in revenue in 2021 that's growing at 30 percent year over year and then 81 percent gross margins a, a very almost a very standard software like income statement um high gross Especially, margins yeah
1: for sas too yeah
0: they like i said there there seems to be a lot of customers that are available to sell to and so they're spending a ton of money on sales and marketing um, but a lot of that is stock based compensation so you'll see a pretty big discrepancy between their gap earnings and their operating cash flow they were operating cash flow positive last year um, but it it's since they they've, they've Basically, been around break even yeah. on a cash flow basis,
1: and I will have a lot of charts that can uh, show that in the newsletter to kind of visualize that from kind of from 2017 uh, to now.
0: Most recent quarter, uh, 186 million dollars in revenue, really just a strong quarter. It was up 41 percent year over year. However, they made a pretty big big acquisition of Level Set, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, if you exclude that, still growing 34 percent, 80 percent gross margin again, and then. They're spending, as I mentioned, more all of their gross profit and then some on operating expenses and primarily that's sales and marketing. So operating expenses breaks down as 50% sales and marketing, 32% research and development, and 18% general and administrative, uh, and a fifth of the operating expenses are paid in stock-based comp. So um, they really are trying to incentivize a lot of their corporate employees um, with yeah, revenue, revenue per share, everyone, uh, with this one. Yeah, yeah and then um, more than 14,000 customers, as I mentioned earlier, their customers are growing at 20-21% year-over-year, um, and that actually excludes level set, so good organic growth there. Yeah. Um, and they're also they have a 116 percent net revenue retention rate this quarter so not only are they growing customers quite quickly but they're uh uh, cross-selling a lot of their solutions and getting more spend out of their existing customers um other important numbers to mention that they uh typically their contracts are one to three years. So remaining performance obligation can be a good indicator of what revenue is going to be moving forward. So they had $715 million in remaining performance obligations. That was up 44% year over year. So it's growing faster than that revenue growth. You like to see that 70% of that is expected to be recognized in the next 12 months. So, uh, revenue for the next 12 months, looks like it's going to be pretty strong. Uh, it's, they, it's a fairly easy business to forecast on a revenue basis.
1: Yep. And at the investor day, the CFO mentioned that the correlation uh, between short-term RPO, which is remaining performance obligations and revenue is extremely high. So that can tell you that's the most important forward-looking indicator that they give out each quarter.
0: Yeah, The last metric I'll throw in here, 95% gross retention rate. Um since they're increasing the spend from their, their existing customers that stay on, it's probably the more important figure, but 95% just means 95% of the logos are staying year after year. Does Did that number surprise you at all?
1: I don't think so because there's a lot of small contractors that go out of business and it's a low margin industry,
0: so or maybe use it for like a couple projects kind of thing.
1: That's right. They might not need it for every project. I don't think that's a huge issue. I think net retention is probably the most important one because those large contractors like Skanska or something like that might, uh, that's going to drive the majority of revenue. They actually give a great outline of specific customers. They probably use the most, uh, the best example, but uh, of like some European one that went from 100,000 ARR to 2 million over a few years. Now, not every customer is going to be like that, but they are very, very good at landing and expanding with the large general contractors, even if maybe some of that
0: gross retention is lower. All right, balance sheet and liquidity, really straightforward, pretty easy. Uh, This job wasn't too tough for me. More than half a billion dollars in cash and marketable securities and no debt. They actually had more than a billion, I believe, when they first... uh, joined the public markets from their from their equity raise billion in cash not debt right cash Cash, yeah yeah yeah. uh but they acquired level set for half a billion dollars and 425 million of it was in cash 75 million was in stock so they used a lot of it to make that acquisition however on basically break even cash flow looks like they have more than enough liquidity to be happy. Only other line item that was maybe worth noting is uh deferred revenue. This is recorded as a liability forum. We kind of just mentioned it, but it's just cash they've collected from customers in advance of servicing the the contracts, so um and given that it's a software business, it's not very costly to service that, so it's uh it, Yeah, it's
1: like a, I kind of think of it. It's too. a pseudo liability really. I think of, yeah, I, I people might Take a maybe they probably want to take offense to this, but I kind of think of it as a fake liability.
0: You want uh, to see it the, grow, yeah. Um, if it's growing, that's a great thing. Because that's uh, that means they're they've got plenty of backlog um, mm-hmm. and a lot of their customers are paying up front, so um, really clean balance sheet. Not a whole lot to talk about there.
1: All right, y'all yeah, hit valuation. Pretty simple one here, and since they're unprofitable, it's not going to be uh, the best one. To, to value on. So market cap 6.9 billion and enterprise value since the high cat net cash position is actually down to 6.38. So let's call it 6.4 billion. The only two metrics I have are EV to sales and EV to gross profit just because they are not generating positive earnings and they're not generating positive cash flow. I think cash flow is fairly close to flat, but again, that's not going to really help us out here. So EV to sales uh, trailing 12 months is 9.6 and EV to gross profit is 12.1. That gross profit multiple, I think, is the most important. And it is still quite the premium versus mm, the average stock on the market. I think the average would be around six to seven uh for a company out there. So again, they're probably around
0: double uh what a standard one is. And it act- yeah, go ahead. That kind of it has not gotten sold sold off as much as I would have thought, given sort of the timing on their IPO. Yeah, well,
1: their revenue has uh just growing. they've been too yeah. good they've been too good at growing revenue all right let's move to anecdotal evidence ryan what do you got for us we do have some friends in the, in the industry so it's been all positive
0: yeah the the college we went to has a decent construction management program so we had a couple friends i think that uh i have a oh friends. friend uh
1: at the investor day they uh talked about how i think they're in like 95 percent of education institutions so that was a really really positive note i saw and they're 95 percent of construction management um, colleges.
0: Yeah, I'll maybe throw that in my highlights too, even though I, I forgot to write it down. Um, yeah, I got a couple of friends that work for general contractors and I probably annoy them when I ask about it because I've asked about it maybe one too many times, but they all swear by it. They say they love Procore. It saves them a ton of time and they end up spending a lot of time on the platform because it makes their life easier. Um, and maybe that leads into something else that's worth noting. Because you can add unlimited users, if you are a customer of Procore, there is a little bit of a network effect here where if you add specialty contractors to your project or something like that, they can kind of see the value of the platform without having to pay initially. And yeah. then it's virality, but yeah, know,
1: it's uh, they described it as a network effect in the investor day. I, I kept thinking, I wanted to yell at the computer screen. It's, vi- it's virality, not network effect. But again, that's an advantage. What about you? Uh, yeah, same here, uh, any friends that I have in the construction industry say they like Procore. Um, I think that bodes well for not just Procore, but the construction software market in general, because there's just a lot of people that are using highly inefficient pens and paper right now to go through stuff and the value add for say, giving 2% of your project dollars for a huge increase in efficiency seems like just a great proposition. You have a, everyone wins, um, in the situation. Uh, all right. Future growth opportunities. They got a lot of things moving. Uh, maybe we can debate of whether they're they have too many things, but I don't think it's it's not too many. But again, there's a lot to choose from here. So Ryan, what do you have?
0: Yeah, for me, it's Procore Pay. Um, so on any construction project, there's obviously a lot of invoices going in and out for uh, different stakeholders. For so for things like materials or labor, you think about payroll as well. Uh, a lot of those documents are being uploaded to Procore's platform already. So being the facilitator of those payments seems like a logical next step, uh, and they made that pretty clear. So during their investor day, they mentioned that they're planning to launch Procore Pay in 2023. Um, this would obviously enhance their financial management solution, but I would think, and I don't, I don't know how they'll end up categorizing it, it would also, it could also be applied to workforce management because you could potentially manage payroll within that also. Um and then i think the level set acquisition should help here as well so as i mentioned last october procore bought level set for 500 million dollars level set helps construction companies stay lean compliant and i might be Lion, lean
1: l yeah, i e n yeah do not know how to pronounce that <laughs> I, I see it all the time you see it all the time in documents
0: yeah when i first read up on the Acquisition, I, I did not know what it was, so I kind of looked into it a little more and it seems like they provide a lot of value to companies in the construction process. So here's what I wrote when the deal was first announced. The construction industry has a median of 90 days sales outstanding and 74 days payables outstanding. They mentioned that. Um, which is the slowest of all industries surveyed across the globe. Given this complexity and delay in the payments process, a tool that's often used and relied upon by construction groups is known as a LION or or LEAN, in particular, a mechanics lien. This tool ensures that the parties involved in a construction process or project get paid appropriately for their work by using the physical property as backing. So basically, yeah, the the (laughs) lien collateralizes the project, but on top of it, it's difficult to stay lean compliant um oh, there's like a lot of like yeah a lot of filings that you have to do and kind of legal work around it so level set is where you manage all those lanes and it gives you um basically the step by step on how to stay compliant so and you can uh, from what i can tell level set's growing pretty quickly and was growing quickly prior to the acquisition and that should be a helpful component uh, i would imagine with procore pay
1: I kind of laughed when they talked about Procore Pay because a lot of software companies hype up that they're doing payments um, just because it's such an easy value add. However, there's big cash flow issues in construction, um, a lot of working capital stuff. So if they can improve that a little bit for their customers, that's going to be a huge value add as
0: well. Yeah, they they named a couple of growth growth avenues that they're going to try to explore in 2023. So we we attached if you're reading the newsletter uh, at all check out the relevant links. We attach the Investor Day slides. Um, they they talk about that.
1: Yep. All right. I'll hit mine. This is typically a cop-out answer uh, for a lot of businesses. And honestly, if you look at a company and they keep hyping this up, it's a bit of a yellow flag for me because anyone can really talk about it. But I think international expansion has a lot of problems for Procore, uh, specifically because of their high net retention rate. So if you look at international revenue as a percentage of revenue, it went from 8.2% in 2017 to 14.6%. In 2021. And I believe in constant currency, it's marching higher, but the FX headwinds have hit them a bit in 2022 Now, with how many markets they are pushing heavily into, uh, again, go on to the investor day, they're actually they were only in a couple different markets heavily uh before the last year or so. Um, and then with a more loaded product suite than they had in 2017, uh e- even earlier, uh, you know, uh, if we're looking at maybe, you know, the US market, I wouldn't be surprised if international revenue grew at. Thirty percent, forty percent a year for many, many years. The growth there has been very, very impressive, and now it's becoming a meaningful part of this business. So I would be—I'm pretty excited about that. If I'm looking at Procore, and given that construction, yeah, there's slight differences in each market, market, um, and there's language barriers and stuff like that. It's kind of the same blueprint, right? So it's pretty replicable. It's not like moving some sort of media thing uh from the united states to brazil where the culture might be entirely different for
0: construction i
1: believe you know it's a lot of overlap
0: and something that i believe you mentioned to us in one of our interviews is that a lot of their existing customers are multinational companies Mm, so they kind of have a logical foot in the door when it comes to a lot of these markets so um, seems like the 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 international growth could be a little more seamless for them than other software-based businesses uh highlights lowlights i'll go first here so um two that i forgot to write down but the university lock-in is always kind of nice to see where if you're a construction management student you want to get acclimated to the software because you're going to be using it in the real world additionally if you're a firm and you're hiring new construction management students uh you want to use Procore because it's the software they're used, uh, yeah. used to using. If,
1: it's, if a software is listed on a job listing uh, as a requirement, that usually indicates a strong moat. Uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, other thing, I, I, and I mentioned this earlier, I think there's t- a ton of low-hanging fruit in terms of potential customers. I might be botching this quote, but I remember him, I, w- I remember Tui telling us 50% of customers we reach, they reach out to are still relying on pen and paper. So it's more selling selling the value prop of software in their business that I mean, trying yeah, to replace think, competitors yeah, and
1: that makes sense i think yeah. common sense thinking about the industry it totally makes sense
0: uh let's see other highlights i i, I hate to use the word channel checks because i i think it's like you just like yeah, well channel checks in industry. Is hyping,
1: yeah channel checks but, is hyping up people you message <laughs>
0: yeah I, every all my quote unquote channel checks lead me to believe that procore is valued by their customers and fairly sticky it, it just it seems to really make everyone's life easier in construction and a lot of the construction friends i've had said everyone they know is kind of switching to it and it's becoming sort of the go to software um last one I, I think procore pay is is could be pretty additive to the platform oh the
1: payments thesis <laughs> i think it works here. yeah though.
0: Yeah. But I feel like every company you think like, well, everyone talks about payments, but it really works for this business. It seems like it does given the invoices that are going in and out for each business and then the potential payroll uh, synergies is there. Lowlights for me though. And even though Procore has customers that work internationally um, or have com- uh, subsidiaries internationally, I imagine Autodesk has more international customers. So Given that they're plowing a lot of resources into this construction cloud, I would think they might have a leg up in the international markets. Yeah, so, they probably
1: have better, more sales reps in countries already, stuff like
0: that. Yeah, that's potentially a low light. And then I put here the gross retention wasn't quite as high as I would have pictured. I would have thought it would be stickier, but I think... um this market's pretty early in the digitization. So maybe a lot of customers are kind of trying it out and not realizing, or they use it for a short time period. I think that, that retention is more important, but yeah, the gross retention, some to track. If they stop reporting that, that would be
1: a concern, right?
0: Yeah. Because they don't have to. Another low light, having spoken to Tui, I sometimes worry that it can cloud my judgment. Uh well, I, I mean that's put, like, like blinders on for me. me. That's not specific. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a problem with the business, but yeah. more a <laughs> light for me uh, potentially investing.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah, that's always true, but that's something we got yeah, personally got to deal with. All right, my highlights, uh, industry tailwinds great. I think you already talked about that, but I would not be surprised to see revenue growing quickly. Um, and this is a really easy business that you can identify and think they can, you know, quote, unquote, ride the wave of the industry growth for many, many years, five, probably the next five to seven years, would not be surprised to see them growing 20% a year. Um, second highlight, their land and expand, net retention numbers are very strong and leads me to believe they have a great sales culture and are providing tremendous value to these customers. It's not one of those fake software programs that, I mean, not fake, but like software programs that are nice to have, needs, it's a need to have. Um, third, I think the switching costs for these software programs while they've added these new products really enhances that. So they, they talked about it in the investor that it kind of, you know, I was like, oh, okay. Because that was a concern with me while, you know, when they released their S1 and they went public, I was a little bit concerned that they were a one trick pony, but they've really fixed that and are fixing that with all the new products that they're adding on here. I think that's really great for the switching costs. Well, uh income statement is ugly. 74.1% of gross profit was spent on sales and marketing in 2021 and seven percent Of gross profit was spent on R&D. On the latest conference called management said this this will change and that they're looking to quote, grow more efficiently, but it's still a wait and see game. So again, it's a low light until they can prove that it's not a low light. Uh, Second low light competing with Autodesk uh, while they're focusing on this is a bit of a concern. However, this market opportunity is so large, I think they're both going to do well Third, uh, revenue per employee was much lower than some of the other software companies we looked at. It was only $178,000 in 2021. I think this could easily change five years from now. You know, if we get net retention well above 100%, we move into international growth to continue growing quicker than overall revenue. But it gives me less confidence um, that they can hit 20% cash flow margins within a few years. Maybe they couldn't five, but... That revenue per employee, I think, is a big highlight because we looked at, say, and I don't want to get this wrong, so maybe I'll confirm it while we're talking. While I'm talking about this, but some of the other engineering software companies that we've looked at have maybe 300,000 to 400,000 revenue per employee, and that allows them to get to that 30%, 40% margin where Procore has a lot of progress to make before they can achieve that.
0: Yeah. One of my thoughts here is that a huge chunk of their employee base is in sales. And they're younger, they're younger, they're younger business, so. And a lot of those employees are likely compensated on a commission basis. And so when you get a big, like big years of customer additions, I imagine a lot of that commission is recognized up front. So you're going to have like increased expenses in years that you're growing quickly. Yeah, but that's the same for Ansys. And they're at 373,000,
1: 374,000, excuse me, revenue per employee. Again, it's, they're it's, not, they're growing.
0: Of, they're growing customer oh, count much quicker.
1: That is that again. That is true. I think they will get there over time. But the path to the same sort of margins as uh, an Ansys or a Bentley or a Dassault, they are going to have to get more efficient if they're going to hit that forty percent margin. Don't think they need to. But again, I would not expect margins much more than twenty percent unless they get that revenue per employee higher. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Next
0: section. Bull case, Um, I'm just going to go through some of the numbers to kind of just paint a picture on it. So let's say five years or in the next five years, they have twice the customers that they have today globally. That would be about a 15% annual growth rate. That's, I think, rosy, but like I said, there's a lot of customers that can adopt this solution and the international expansion is in its early stages, in my opinion, so between that and and the domestic markets still having some low hanging fruit, I think there's a path to 15% customer growth uh, a year. And then whether it's through product expansion, volume increases or price raises, um, and by volume increases, I mean that just their customers are adding more projects with Procore. um, Customers increase their spending with the company by let's say 8% annually. So that's about half of the current net revenue retention rate. Um, so, guess you could say that's conservative. It kind of depends how Feels much value. Yeah.
1: Reasonable, reasonable, probably. It's going to slow eventually. It can't be 125% forever.
0: Yeah. When you look at a business like Autodesk, who might have more pricing power, I would say they do. Uh, th- that's still running at 110% net revenue retention rate right uh they they
1: say well they don't give it out specifically but they do 100 percent to 110 percent. i think it close. it's closer to 110 percent. and again they're more mature but yeah you
0: all can't right. you can't be that you can't be getting revenue growth that's that high from your existing customers forever yeah. all right well let's say eight percent annual customer growth customer annual spending per customer and then double or 15% growth in customers each year. That's about 2.2 billion in annualized revenue. Now, in the investor day, they didn't really have a margin target, but I rem- I like vaguely remember on their investor roadshow, which I could not find the link to, um, them targeting 20% operating margins long-term. So if we just throw that on there, like I said, this is the bull case here, that's $440 million a year in non-GAAP operating income. Now, like I said, bull case, so it's a lot of rosy assumptions. Throw 20 times on that. Um, it's an $8.8 billion price tag versus I think it's probably $6, 6500000000 billion enterprise value today. So it's richly valued. Those returns would not be that great. No, but they could grow. They could exceed those estimates that yeah, I put there. Yeah, I think they could grow revenue, overall revenue, a bit
1: quicker. But again, those are high expectations.
0: Yeah, so I, th- I think a lot, a lot, ha- the business has to perform pretty well for this to be a good investment.
1: Yep, I think my bull case is similar. I'm just going to say from a more maybe holistic perspective that we are probably at the earlier stages of this multi-decade tailwind in construction software, and I think it could be similar. To the engineering software markets, maybe 20 to 30 years ago, which would be very, very positive for the industry. Um, And I think it could lead to durable double digit revenue growth for 10 plus years or longer. It's dangerous to extend that time horizon, but I think you might have to, given this valuation today. Uh, And I still, you know, we talked about the margins, that's going to be an important thing here. But if they can grow revenue by 15% a year for 10 straight years, it would be hard for the stock not to work, I think. And yes, it's very hard to say, oh, 10 years from now, they're going to grow revenue 15% a year. I mean, the world's very unpredictable. But given the durability of the construction industry and given the tailwind of the construction software market, I think Procore lands into my 99th percentile of companies that I'm confident can Like in their like how fast they can grow for the next decade
0: yeah Um, I'd agree with that
1: all right bear case I think it's going to be margins and multiple huh
0: yeah three three primary risks for me one is multiple compression second is dilution um right right didn't hit that yeah we, we hardly touched on that and then the third one is potentially slower than expected attach rates on their new products so if a lot of the customers are really just signing on to that project management solution now. Trends are showing that attach rates are growing, but um, well, they're spending a lot of sales and marketing to do that. So
1: we need, you know, how what's the right? Like, I think it, yeah, we need to just, see the leverage there over
0: time. Exactly. So uh, if those three things kind of occur, it feels like it's hard to justify the current valuation. I I like the business. I think it's a really good sales organization. I'm not that worried about the competitive landscape, but, but just a lot of things. They really have to perform well, attract a lot of customers, and add more value to those customers over time for this to be uh, for the current price tag to be warranted.
1: Yeah, and my, for my bear case, I'll throw some numbers in here. Like, if you go through all of those scenarios, and you think they can get to $500 million in cash flow. Um, which, you know, it's pretty good, but given their dilution and how fast share count is rising, that's probably a 15 times to 20 times multiple a few years from now. Uh, And if that happens, like, I mean, you're gonna take a lot of revenue to get there, revenue growth to get there. You're gonna need to expect not only five, like high revenue growth five years from now, you're gonna need to expect revenue growth to continue to stay high five years from then. So that's just the big bear case for me. Business is great. But yeah. All right. More or less interested. I think we both know the answer. I think listeners know the answer here. Uh, That valuation is just holding us
0: up. Yeah. More interested. Love the business. Love the market. Um, Great market. I just can't. I struggle to make it work at these prices.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to say the exact same thing. Don't need to repeat it. When we cover Autodesk, again, slight competitor here, also within the industry doing a lot of different things. But they also overlap a little bit with the new product. Um, if you look at the sales multiple and gross profit multiples, Autodesk is in a similar spot, but they they, they have proven and are in a pretty good spot to hit forty percent profit margins, and that's just a way wh- you know huge yeah. difference between
0: that and twenty. So yeah, it's just a different stage business for like it's not the typical stage of a business where I like to invest, and I've seen a lot of I mean a lot of investors have gotten burned. Over the last couple of years, invested. Yeah.
1: Well, you need a discount. Company, yeah, you need a discount. I don't. Yeah, exactly.
0: But All it's right. It's kind of it's uh, it's a testament to the business model and potentially the durability of gro- the growth that they still trade at this valuation, given how much carnage there's been in software.
1: Yeah, and especially because they are not profitable software either. Um Yeah. So kudos to them; they've executed phenomenally. All right. Stock for next week is going to be PTC. Another core engineering one doesn't overlap with pro core but overlaps i believe more. We'll, we'll get into it to sew and Ansys a bit more um and maybe bentley a little bit and then as well as the month wraps up we're going to be doing our arch capital episode on autodesk to complete this series going to be very exciting to cover those and get a holistic approach where we think if everyone listens to the episodes within the series, uh, you'll have a great overview of the engineering and construction software market. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors and anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.